Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. So we have made it through yet another week in our increasingly crazy news cycle of weeks that it's going to get increasingly more crazy the closer we get to November. But this week did bring us back to the fact that there is an actual election going on this year, guys. I, I think we all kind of forgot, but yeah, there's there's a presidential election that's happening in November. But before I get into that, um, I do want to go ahead and just recommend to everybody, if you haven't listened to my last two podcast episodes, I talked a lot about the fact that schools are starting to go back into session in the U.S. over this past couple of weeks. Like I said, they started here in Atlanta at the beginning of the month. I know it's kind of staggered throughout the nation and everybody is doing various and assorted different things in different school districts. But I did sit down and talk to both Corey DeAngelis and Matt Welch on the topic of what exactly we're supposed to be doing with education this year. So if you missed those, I did spend a lot of time already speaking on that. So obviously won't be talking about it in this episode, but I do think that that is really going to be a major, major, major issue going forward just because it affects so many people in the United States. So go back listen to those. And on the Alex Morse situation, I'm sure everybody's already heard about this by now, but that one is going to get its own episode because there's just so much to unpack with that story. So that one's going to get its own episode. So I won't be addressing that in this episode either, but let's go ahead and start where I have been starting for the past 21 weeks now, 22 weeks. I don't know anymore, but, but a little bit of tiny good news on the unemployment front. We have now managed to officially make it below a million claims in a week. Yes. For the week ending on August 8th, we had 963,000 initial unemployment claims filed. I can't even believe this is good news at this point, but we finally made it under a million, guys. We finally did it. Finally did it. Took 21 weeks, but we did it. So... At least that is still trending downward. Hopefully it keeps trending downward. I really don't know what's going to happen in the future, but finally a tiny, tiny bit of what passes for good news now on the unemployment front. Um, also on the unemployment front, on specifically on Trump's executive orders, which I discussed last week, um, still have not seen anything as far as implementation of how any of this is going to be implemented as far as the federal unemployment assistance that, that he EO'd into existence, maybe, sort of, kind of. Um, the House Ways and Means Committee put out a memo detailing how it could be done, but I've not seen anything concrete. So if you are still in that unemployment boat, I really don't know when or if you're going to see more federal unemployment money. Remains to be seen. So, yeah. I'm not sure. And Congress is on recess right now, so not going to see anything from them. So I really don't know where y'all stand. But at least there's less people joining your ranks this past week than there have been in the past over 20 weeks. Fingers crossed that we keep going along that trend. But the big news from this week is that Joe Biden did finally, finally name his running mate. And to pretty much nobody's surprise, he picked Kamala Harris, which, ugh, 
I've already given my thoughts on that. I mean, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I don't like her. I don't really want her that close to the presidency. Some people have pointed out that at least this takes her out of the running for attorney general, which silver lining there, but Joe Biden is old as dirt and I don't have a lot of confidence that he is going to make it through a term as president. For what it's worth, I don't really have a lot of confidence that Trump's going to make it through a second term as president because he is also old as dirt. So, uh, I, I don't know. What I do know is that it was met with pretty much the response that you would expect it to be met with. Um, Rose Twitter, the progressives, are pissed because they don't like Kamala any more than I do. And... But what it's worth, it's not like they were ever going to get a bone thrown to them, which that's a whole ball of wax right there that I might end up writing about how progressives thought they had a lot more power in this situation than they really did. And so now basically they're just kind of stewing in their own juices and trying to figure out a way to reconcile themselves to voting for a Biden-Harris ticket, which they will do. Let's be completely honest. They're not staying home. They're not voting third party. They will knuckle down and vote for that ticket because this is the most important election ever. And it's going to be the election that shapes a whole generation, which is what I've been hearing about every election since I started voting in 2000. And it's 2020 and I'm old. So yeah, it's just, I, it's, yeah. It'll go down the same way it goes down every year. You'll knuckle down, you'll vote for same way you did it for Hillary, same way you've done it just every other time. Like this, I mean, have have your fit, but whatever, you know, you're going to vote for them. And what's more important, Biden and the DNC know that too. So we get Harris. They did do pretty decent fundraising numbers though after the announcement. It was... 30 some odd million dollars in the first 24 hours after he announced her as his running mate. So apparently there's somebody out there that's very happy about this. And the decision seems to be polling well, although there doesn't seem to be any kind of indication thus far that putting Harris on the ticket has changed anybody's mind about Joe Biden, but seems to be somewhat universally at least accepted. I mean, it. this is a weird election cycle where it's incredibly important who the VP pick is, but then again, it's really not important at all. And the only reason it's so important is because Biden is so old that there is that question of, well, who is next in line? Because this dude is in his mid-70s and maybe we should think about that. But for the traditional reasons that a VP pick matters, things like rounding out a ticket or expanding a candidate's popularity into another certain group where maybe they're not polling all that well or they don't really have a lot of support or they're not really well known. VP pick for that particular purpose this year means absolutely nothing because this is already so... Everybody's already made their decision. Like, it wouldn't have mattered who he picked on that level. If you were going to vote for Biden, you're going to vote for Biden. If you weren't going to vote for him, you weren't going to vote for him. Like, it really doesn't matter on that level this year. So... But at least we know it is now Biden-Harris 2020. We kind of a weird pick too. Also, just because of the current mood and situation in the country as far as people being very hot on criminal justice reform, on police reform. Like we still have people protesting out in the streets. We still have daily marches about police brutality and Black Lives Matter and about 
defunding the police or abolishing the police or some sort of criminal justice reform. So having both of those people on one ticket, neither one of them being particularly strong on criminal justice reform, like at all, I probably could have picked somebody a little better on that level. But like I said, I don't think it's really going to matter because at the end of the day, they're going to vote for him anyway. I mean, they're not going to vote for Trump. They're not going to stay home. They're not going to vote for third party. So I guess it really doesn't matter on that level. But what we did get out of this is, quite frankly, the absolute fucking stupidest argument I've seen in ages. And that is saying something. John Eastman wrote an opinion piece for Newsweek arguing that Kamala Harris is not eligible to be the VP pick because her parents we're not U.S. citizens and we're not naturalized citizens. Her mother's Indian, her father's Jamaican. And so when she was born here in the United States, that somehow because her parents weren't naturalized citizens, that this somehow impacts her citizenship, which you'd have to squint very, very, very hard at the 14th Amendment to even try to make that argument because the amendment is very clear. It point blank says anybody born within the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof is a U.S. citizen. It says what it says. Like, I don't understand where anybody gets any kind of ambiguity here and nobody's questioning where she was born. Everybody accepts she was born in Oakland, California. Nobody's saying that she was born anywhere else. It's not even like the Obama argument where people are trying to say he was born in Kenya or somewhere and they wanted to see a long form birth certificate proving that he was born in Hawaii. This is just point blank saying because your parents weren't U.S. citizens, this means that somehow your citizenship is in doubt. And that's not how citizenship works in the United States. And the other argument he tries to make is that, well, yes, we accept birthright citizenship now. But when Harris was born, that wasn't really the accepted rule. I'm like, yes, it was. When, when the hell in this country was birthright citizenship not the accepted explanation and implementation of the 14th Amendment? When? Fucking when? No time. At no time. And any time that something was done that violated the idea of birthright citizenship, it was deemed illegal. Like, I don't <laughs> Some people try to point to, during the Great Depression, how children born of Mexican immigrants were deported back to Mexico. Um, that was illegal. And after the Great Depression, they had to allow them back in because they were U.S. citizens. And you could try to make the argument about World War II and the Japanese internment camps. But again, that was deemed illegal too. In fact, the Supreme Court, not this past session, but the session before that, actually addressed the Korematsu argument that was found in the Supreme Court to uphold the idea of internment camps was incorrect. Like that was the wrong decision. That is, That was an incorrect interpretation of the 14th Amendment. So I don't even know where... I, oh my god, I don't even know who publishes this kind of stuff other than Newsweek for clicks. Obviously, I'm sure I don't have to explain to you guys again the incentives in media and journalism nowadays, but everybody kind of lost it over this. And even the president ended up finding out about this and tweeting about, oh, I, I see that maybe Kamala Harris may, maybe isn't eligible to be vice president. I think the Democrats probably should have looked into that before they nominated her. And it's like, they did, you dumbass. Under no, no accepted legal definition is Kamala Harris not a U.S. citizen. <laughs> I 
It's so stupid. It was so stupid. But now we got this new form of birtherism. And Newsweek tried to walk it back by publishing an, a contrasting op-ed by Eugene Volkov saying that, yes, she's a U.S. citizen. It's like, yes, everybody knows she's a U.S. citizen, you idiots. That's why you never should have ran the stupid opinion piece in the first place. Because it's factually incorrect. Oh my god, but this is just indicative of how crazy this is going to get. Like, there, there's plenty, plenty of things to hit Kamala Harris with. You don't have to try to make up some controversy about how she might not be a U.S. citizen. Like, that's just... That's so stupid. That is so, so stupid. Go after her record. Go after her record as Attorney General of California. There's plenty to talk about there. Especially in this current environment of people being worried about criminal justice reform. There's plenty to drag her on there. Go for that. That's low-hanging fruit. In fact, most of those pieces were already written back when she was running for president. Or at least the nomination. Just rehash all that. Just dust those off and republish those. Don't try to come up with some cockamamie bullshit about how she's not a U.S. citizen. Like, this is just stupid. But moving on to more election-based possible stupidity, and that is the controversy now surrounding the U.S. Postal Service. Just to preface this a little bit, if you run in libertarian circles, you know that USPS has been kind of not in a great position for a kind of long time. And so now this past week, it has come to light that in certain places, USPS is eliminating mail sorting facilities, or at least mail sorting machines. There are certain places where they're eliminating mailboxes. And so all of this on the backdrop of there being a nationwide push for mail-in voting this year, which, sure, cool, fine. I'm all for mail-in voting. I think we should have had this conversation a long time ago because we kind of stopped probably about, God, 20-ish years ago now, back when when kind of early voting started being widely adopted, about ways to make voting easier for the vast amount of people to make sure we get as many people enfranchised as possible, to make it as easy to vote as possible. And mail-in voting is part of that. Even outside of COVID-related things, I mean, voting, if we're being completely honest, is kind of an imposition. Like, if you work... Most polling places are open 7 to 7, so you're either trying to go before work, you're trying to go after work, or if your state allows it, go on the weekend and then you're waiting there for hours usually, and it's just, it's it's not an easy thing to do because you have to go somewhere and do it, and so it's anything that could make voting easier, I think, is something worth discussing, even beyond the fact that we are in a pandemic and we're not really supposed to be going places with large groups of people, which polling places will be this year, I do predict that this year will be the highest voter turnout in at least decades, if not ever. Like, it, it's going to be massive. So, because we are where we are as a society in this country, the the fact that we do have this push for mail-in voting, the fact that we do have USPS, who it seems to be these things were taking place not due to anything recent, but as basically planned sort of efficiency things, getting rid of like mailboxes that people weren't really using all that much and kind of consolidating facilities to try to save money because USPS has been hemorrhaging money for years and years and years and years now. Like this is a long-standing, ongoing problem 
that has been discussed almost to death, but is now going to become somewhat more public knowledge because of our current situation. It's being spun into this kind of controversy of Trump is trying to disenfranchise voters. And to be fair, obviously, Trump has been very vocal about not supporting mail-in voting, and he made comments about how he would not offer any kind of additional funding to USPS in order to process mail-in voting this year. And it it, it stands to question, and I've seen different reporting on this, and this is another one of these things where it's so hard to find out like what exactly is the deal here, but there doesn't seem to be a funding problem for USPS at least through to next year. So I don't know. Here's the thing though. Looking at this solely through the lens of mail-in voting, Trump, election 2020, I think a lot of people are missing kind of the big picture here. And that is that USPS, like I said, has been not so great for a long time. And now it's about to face a double whammy of they're already overburdened because of COVID and because so many people have either chosen to or had to pivot to buying things online and having them shipped to them. So, I mean, USPS has reported slowdowns, UPS has reported slowdowns, FedEx has reported slowdowns. Just because of the sheer amount of stuff that they're expected to move now, it's it, it's blown up. So you have that. And then now on top of what USPS is having to handle on that additional workload, now they're going to have mail-in ballots, which means it's going to be even more stuff for them to move. So yes, there are going to be slowdowns. I mean, that is what it is. And whether that is a controversy or whether that is a conspiracy or not depends on your particular take on things. But I mean, I don't... Do I do I think this is like some kind of nefarious thing? No. Do I think that election year 2020 with mail-in voting is going to be a complete clusterfuck? Yes, because there's no way for it not to be. There's no way for USPS to ramp up anything in the amount of time that is necessary for them to be able to do this in a smooth fashion. That's just, it's not going to happen. It's going to be a mess. And whether I think this is Trump trying to disenfranchise voters, if so, he's disenfranchising the group of people most likely to vote for him, that being old people who are not supposed to be going out in public, especially not to crowded places like polling stations, and are supposed to be staying their ass at home and mailing in their votes. So if he's disenfranchising anybody, it's his own voter base, which would be really stupid. Because he's going to need every vote he's, he, can, he can get. But what I do think he's doing, though, is delegitimizing the idea of mail-in voting and setting up the conditions to where if things don't go his way in November, which the only reason I would think that any sitting president would go out and try to make these arguments is because he thinks he's going to lose. Like, if you think that you got this in the bag, you are doing at this point everything that you possibly can to assure the idea of the legitimacy of the vote totals in November. Like you're doing everything you can to tell people like, yep, it's going to be completely 100% above board, legit. I'm going to be the winner. There's going to be no questions about it. If you're trying to sow questions at this point, you don't think you're going to win. 
So there's that. What I can see happening is kind of the same effect that happened to people who were going to vote for Hillary in 2016, which is that they were told, and this was obviously not every Hillary voter, but there was a sizable amount of people who did report this phenomenon that people were told that Hillary had it in the bag. So, and because like I said, voting is not a super easy and fun thing to do, there was a lot of people that just shrugged their shoulders and said, okay, well, she's got this. I don't have to go vote. And then she lost by not a lot of votes. So that kind of idea might have screwed her. And this kind of idea might screw Trump in this idea that if you put it in people's heads and not everybody is like me, not everybody does this for a living-ish not everybody sits here and drills down on stuff and kind of figures out like, okay, voter fraud is extremely rare, maybe a little bit more so in mail-in voting, but still extremely rare. And so the whole idea that somehow this is going to be illegitimate is really dumb. All you hear is, oh, well, I mean, the president says that mail-in voting is just going to be fraudulent, so I'm not going to bother. <laughs> and so, like I said, that's going to screw over Trump more than it's going to screw over Biden because... You ain't keeping Dems from voting this year. You are not. These people will do whatever it is they got to do to get their vote counted. Anybody who wants to vote for Biden because they want Trump out, they're going to do whatever they got to do. You ain't stopping them. The only people you're stopping are those who are on the fence or those who really might support Trump, but not enough to like really go through this whole process of trying to go vote. Whereas if you made this whole process a lot easier, they might be more inclined to do it. So it just makes no sense. The whole thing makes no sense. But I will say whether you think this is a controversy or whether you are like me and you just think this is kind of a perfect storm, it's going to be a mess. It's going to be an absolute fucking mess. And we are not going to have results on election night. We are not. We are not going to know who the president was. It's going to be like 20... That 2000 all over again. I remember 2000. I was there. I was, I, that was the first election I voted in, in Florida in 2000. Yes, this is how I started my voting career. And you wonder why I don't vote so much anymore. <laughs> but this is going to be a mess. It's going to be weeks before we know who won. Oh God, this is going to be such a disaster. <laughs> This is going to be so bad. And of course, I, I will bet, I will put money right now that if Trump loses, he will sue. This will go to the Supreme Court. Trust. <laughs> it will be 2000 all over again. I'm not looking forward to it. I wasn't looking forward to November of 2020 under any kind of normal circumstances. But under these circumstances, I'm just like, I'm already ready to just hide under my desk with a bottle of whiskey and just wait for this whole thing to blow over. I mean, hopefully we'll know by January who the president is. Hopefully we'll know by Inauguration Day. Otherwise, I, I don't know. But yeah, we're, we're kind of in uncharted territory here. And so, oh, oh dear. But on the topic of voting, and I kind of want to point this out before I move on. We, we look at voting, especially in nationwide elections, as a nationwide issue. 
which it is. I mean, it is a national story. It is a national issue. But I want to be very clear for everybody who is voting, especially if you're doing some sort of alternate form of voting, you cannot go by national stories. You have to make sure you understand what the laws are in your state, in your county. Make sure you know what the dates are. Make sure that you are working within those time frames because I can see a situation where people read a story about, say, Pittsburgh and they see the dates for Pittsburgh. Well, you live in Phoenix and those that doesn't apply to you. So I can see there being a lot of confusion this year because of people reading things from various different outlets and not really thinking about the fact that you need to be very aware of what the rules are in your county and make sure you are being compliant with those rules to make sure your vote counts. So make sure if you're voting, go to your county's website, find out what your your cutoff dates are for your mail-in ballots, if you can do that, your absentee ballots, early voting, find out where it is, find out what the hours are, make your plans, just so you don't accidentally go by the wrong information and then your vote is not valid because you didn't comply with your local rules and regulations around voting because voting is a local issue, even for national votes. So anyway, that was my little PSA for you. Let's move on. Now, to a story that I would think if we lived in normal times and not crazy brain-melted bizarro world, would be front page news everywhere. It would be all we'd be talking about. If this is something that happened maybe, say, five, six years ago, we probably would be there. But the GAO, the Congressional Government Accountability Office, came out with a report saying that basically Chad Wolf, who is the acting secretary of DHS, and Kevin Cuccinelli, who is the acting under, no, acting deputy secretary of DHS. It's hard to keep this stuff straight, and it changes from day to day. Both of them are not eligible to be in their respective positions. So let me try to kind of explain this. Within every government agency, there is a line of secession where if one person has to leave their job for whatever reason, they're physically incapacitated, they resign, they're fired, whatever, there is a line of people behind that person. And it's basically like next one up. And these things are already established. It's not something that you have to kind of like ad hoc if something happens, like the the lines are already there. So what happened was, and, and this is just to show how much of a clown car DHS is now. I, I, I cannot, I'm not making this up. This is, this is how this happened. We got to go back to April of 2019 when Christian Nielsen resigned as head of DHS. So the day before she resigned, she changed the rules of secession to, I guess, attempt to try to do something, but she screwed it up. Basically, what she did is she changed the line of secession, but only under the circumstances if she became like physically incapable to do her job, not from resignation. So did that. And then after her, Kevin McAleon was named to the post. And when I say named, these, these are not Senate confirmations. Like we, we don't do that anymore, <laughs> which is the problem here in the first place is we don't do Senate com- confirmations in DHS positions anymore, apparently. So he gets named and 
what the GAO found is because he was not the proper person in the line of secession to have been named to be the secretary of DHS, that therefore when he resigned, which he was... He, he took the job in April of 2019, resigned in October of 2019. Then after that, uh, Chad Wolf was put into the position as head of DHS, and he kind of maneuvered, well, actually, McAleon maneuvered things to where Chad Wolf could be named head of DHS, and then Cuccinelli could be put in basically in what was Chad Wolf's spot, which was... Chad Wolf was Senate confirmed as the undersecretary of DHS. And there's always been questions about this because the whole thing, the whole situation on that was handled in a pretty shady fashion. Essentially what happened was Chad Wolf was Senate confirmed as undersecretary and then immediately named acting secretary because McAleon had already left. So... There's been a lot of constitutional questions about that in the first place because it basically looks like you shoehorned in Chad Wolf as head of DHS without going through the correct Senate confirmation process. I mean, it's a little hard to say that that ain't what happened. So there's always been questions here. So basically, because McLean was appointed incorrectly, everything he did is invalidated, including... The, the changes to the line of secession that allowed for Chad Wolf and Ken Cuccinelli to have jobs. So at this point, what should happen? Now, emphasis on the should is that Chad Wolf should vacate the director of DHS, go back to being the secretary of DHS, go back to being undersecretary. Cuccinelli would be out of a job entirely. And for... What anyone's been able to figure out through the lines of secession, the person who should be the acting secretary of DHS right now is Pete Gaynor, who is the FEMA administrator. Is any of this going to happen? Probably fucking not. Because at this point, as far as I know, both Chad Wolf and Ken Cuccinelli will be showing up to their jobs on Monday morning and continuing to do their jobs, even though it has been deemed that they are not eligible to hold their positions because I don't see anybody doing anything about it. I mean, Trump's not going to tell them to stay home. Um, Congress went on recess, so I guess they don't particularly care all that damn much. And neither Wolf or Cuccinelli is removing themselves from their positions. So at this point, we have DHS. DHS. The Department of Homeland Security. Remember when the Department of Homeland Security was founded post 9-11 and how it was supposed to just be the most important damn government organization in this country? And honestly, the powers that DHS has to do things and not get blowback for them. And I'm not going to say do things legally because there's a lot of things that they're allowed to do that technically aren't legal or at least should not be legal or are very constitutionally dubious. But they have been given the powers to do this because it was just so important. Like, we have to have this organization. And so we've gone from this just so vastly important organization that just, oh my God, has to exist. We have to just tear up the existing structures and make a whole new one and give it all these powers 
that no other government agency had before that point to now it being an absolute fucking clown show who nobody knows who's supposed to be running it. So my solution to this problem is maybe it's time to abolish DHS because clearly nobody's taking it seriously anymore and they still have a massive amount of power. They're probably the most powerful government agency in the country as far as what they can do and get away with. And we don't know who's running it. <laughs> as it stands right now, one guy who's actually running it is not legally eligible to be running it. The guy who's in the spot that would be the next one up is not legally eligible to run it. And nobody seems to give a shit. And I'm just like, what? Wait, no, this is this is bad. This is really bad. And like nobody seems to really care. Like nobody really talked about it. It was it was a story more on the immigration front than anything because obviously now that this has been determined by the GAO, it calls into question everything the DHS has done since April of 2019, which is quite a lot on the immigration front. So lawsuits pending. I would suspect. And then there's also the question of the DHS memo that Chad Wolf just put out. And I questioned it because of his acting secretary position, which apparently not only is he an acting secretary, he's not even eligible to be that. So I don't even know how you legally defend that. So <laughs> there's so much up in the air and there's so much. Th this is major. Like this is if... If we can call into question everything DHS has done for the past year plus, that's a big deal. That's a massive deal. And the fact that <laughs> we have people running DHS who are not eligible to be running DHS and nobody seems to care. And as far as I know, they still have jobs. What the fuck? What is going on? It's like everyone just kind of shrugged their shoulders like, oh, another day in Trump world. I'm like... Um, this one's bad, guys. We should probably do something about this. And I was just like, nah, well, you know, got other shit to worry about. I'm like, no, we really don't. We we really need to worry about this. It's DHS. It's not like some rinky-dink organization that's like in a basement somewhere in D.C. It's DHS. We should probably have a Senate-confirmed secretary of DHS, maybe sometime in the nearish future. But I don't think we're going to. I I am just I'm baffled at Congress. I don't I I don't know what they think their job is anymore. I I don't know. Like what what do we pay you guys for? Like what do you do anymore? Like you've pretty much given all of your powers over to the executive branch. Why are we paying you? Why are you here? Like I don't I don't even get it. But maybe somebody will say something about this other than me. I don't know. But at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up because I think we've gone on long enough. So if you did make it this far, thank you for listening. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. And I will say again, just because I cannot recommend them enough, if you did not listen to the past two episodes before this one, please go and listen to them, even if you don't have kids, which I don't have kids. But this topic fascinates me just because it's... It's going to impact so many people that schooling and education in this country this year is going to become such a major, major, major topic of conversation. And hopefully there will be some good that comes of it. 
It's going to be a long, bumpy road to get there, though. So fingers crossed for all you guys who are parents. And yeah, I don't I don't even know what to say to you guys anymore. I, I cannot imagine being a parent right now of school age kids and trying to figure any of this out, like any of this. I don't I don't even know what you guys are doing. So anyway, take care. And until next time.